0: This talk was given by Shila Catherine. For more information and a schedule of her events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. Since the topic is impatience tonight, I thought I would, uh, I think impatience has a lot to do with expectation. Um, it's a subtle form of, impatience is a subtle form of of, um, of aversion. And so as we cultivate patience, which I think is inherent in mindfulness, we can try and find some moments when we notice the really subtle forms of impatience, like um, the, the length of time from when I said that I would ring the bell to when I actually rang the bell was at least three times what those of you that are accustomed to being around me, what I tend to wait. <laughs> so you mean that some of you may have already had a sense of kind of my pace, and it was like, where's the bell? Where's the bell? Where's the bell? <laughs> Did she go to sleep? And similarly, we all have a certain kind of pace in which we do things. And uh, we can start to if we want to cultivate patience, uh, we can uh, expand perhaps our flexibility around those kinds of of, of things like the, the pace in which we do something. The poly term is Kanti. I'm going to write this in the um, in the chat box Kanti so um, It's usually translated as patience, but also forbearance. It's a virtue that people don't usually enjoy cultivating because it's not as impressive like rapture or the deep concentrates of jhana or insight. And it's often something that we cultivate in difficult situations. Simple wisdom says patience is like a tree whose roots are bitter and whose fruit is sweet. I think it's important when we're considering patience that we don't confuse it with reticence, procrastination, or passivity. Procrastination and passivity include elements of resistance, avoidance, or a lack of energy, whereas kanti Patience, forbearance, is more of a calm abiding that implies endurance. It's engaged. It's not passive. There's a dynamic aspect to it. And in fact, it's in the Buddhist tradition, it's considered to be a quality that we should cultivate. It's one of the paramis, the perfections that are cultivated. If we want to learn something, for example, to play the piano, we're going to practice the musical scales over and over and over and over again. We have to have the patience to do that before we can play the uh, piece of music that we, um, that we, that we so enjoy. If we want to recite something by heart, maybe we want to recite a poem, a discourse of the Buddha, a sutta, or just memorize the words of a song, we don't just memorize it once. We must periodically review it in order to maintain it in memory. Learning requires patience and some degree of forbearance, that sustained energy that we give to the experience so that we can remain present with the experience so that the mind and heart can remain still in our response to the experience, balanced in the way we engage with the experience. Learning to drive a car needs a lot of patience. If not from the student driver, then definitely the teaching driver. And in fact, learning to do anything or doing anything that we don't actually enjoy doing requires a lot of patience. Keeping ourselves well in our bodies, in our uh, minds, in our emotions during this kind of current pandemic situation is going to require a lot of patience. This is not the situation that any of us would want to be in. Can we be patient in our response to the present situation? Discoveries in meditation require a kind of patience and endurance because we have to discover we have to learn how we meet experience how do we perceive things how do we process things what's really happening right now can we recognize our conditioned responses and to disentangle the knots of that conditioning Inevitably, we will be uh, observing the arising of familiar patterns. There might be a pattern of anxiety, of fear, or of judgment. Can we accept that this pattern has arisen, endure the unpleasantness of it, and patiently stay steady and observe mindfully that experience as it changes and as it passes, when we're not able to stay steady with the experience it, we don't observe its ending and we tend to then not really know how we feed it and so those unwholesome patterns keep reappearing in our lives as meditators we watch the mind biologists observe, observe nature scientists are always studying things very carefully entomologists observe bugs to discover anything in any field we must carefully watch be observant mindful that requires waiting just waiting with attention not trying to make something happen but waiting and watching I read a fun book some years ago that had lots of little bug stories. And um, these, um, there was a, a story about, a, a, it, was, it was describing entomologists. It wasn't a fictional story. It was describing how they learned to um, recognize different kind of communication patterns within a beehive. Because, you know, they do these different dances, they do wiggle dances, they do round dances, they do little, they they, they kind of move around and communicate with each other to make hive decisions like when to swarm and where there's, you know, to communicate where there's, where they found some great pollen or something. And these, they're entomologists that watch bugs carefully enough that they start to understand those geometric symbolic communications through the movement dances of these, of of these bees. I always think of that story because I think that requires a lot of patience. I mean, if it, that's where, that's harder than going to a language class and repeating syllables. You know, you have to watch the bugs and figure out what they're communicating. Put things together, but most of it is watching carefully. And that's what we do with mindfulness. We watch our experience of mind and body carefully. Can we do this with enough patience and enough diligence and enough forbearance that we'll actually be able to discuss? within our own experience how we are perpetuating suffering and how we can not perpetuate suffering. We discover how we cling and we discover the path to the end of clinging. We've all seen bees in our life, but most of us don't look long enough and carefully enough to discover how they communicate. Can we in our practice be willing to wait and watch and embrace mindfulness practice as an opportunity not to become the mindful person and impose our will upon the experience, but to be mindful and observant of experience as it happens. There's a tendency among many people to want things to be quick instant pleasurable predictable have immediate gratification instant success a continuous flow of satisfactory experiences but it doesn't actually life doesn't actually unfold like that and if nothing else has told us that in our life the current pandemic should tell us that these that life is beyond our control it's not doesn't unfold according to our predictions We can't control what will happen next, and things don't always occur the way we want them to. We often find ourselves in situations that we would not have volunteered for or planned. And sometimes what we have to do is be patient. When we think rationally, we're going to know that it's impossible to get things the way we want them to be. And yet when we feel that inner frustration and agitation and anxiety and worry and habitual cravings arising, that urge for quick comfort, we might recognize that, oh, there's a little bit of aversion going on. There's a little bit of impatience. If we expect immediate success in whatever undertaking we explore, we're going to lower the bar of what success is, lower the quality of what we create, reduce the potential, reduce, the, 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 reduce what actually is our potential. Sometimes people want very quick results in meditation, and, and so they, they will only think about maybe a tiny bit of calmness without considering the actual potential of freeing the mind from the causes of suffering, of liberation as the Buddha taught it. But that path of liberation is going to require patience because we can't just say, I want to be liberated and I'm entitled to it. So I want that experience now. It just it doesn't work that way. We meet each moment of our experience as it is with a patience to Continue to observe it. And as we observe our experience, we will begin to understand experience. We'll begin to understand how we perceive things, how this mind-body process works. And is it working in a way that is supporting a wise and compassionate engagement moment by moment through our lives? Or is it working in a way that's perpetuating greed and hate and delusion? We'll see. If we watch, if we watch our own encounter with life, we will see. I used to like to visit museums when it was okay to go out and about and go to places. <laughs> and things that I really enjoy about art and crafts is the craftsmanship of things. And sometimes we can find in museums um, actually, we could probably see those behind Jeff. (laughs) He's got a few interesting pieces back there. (laughs) I just have, you just have, your icon just happened to be right next to mine. And I think, oh, yes, there's some museum pieces, or I don't know what they are, but they look pretty cool. And the craftsmanship of some Artists, maybe even that lived centuries ago, before there was a lot of power tools and technology, and the ability to buy paint already in tubes or um, different craft kits or whatever. Um, that they 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 could make some ex- exquisitely beautiful inlays and detailed paintings and, and intricate carvings and and beautiful. Um, uh, uh, text, text, uh, 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 kind of um, beautiful. Uh, Seems uh, what? Uh, what's the word? Um, the sewing things, sewing things. I'm, I'm textiles. Textiles. I got the text, and I couldn't get to the tiles. Thank you. <laughs> beautiful textile work. Yes, there's so many gorgeous things that are made that cannot be made without patience. They're just not quick. They're just not not easy. And perhaps the actual work of making a stitch is not complicated, but doing the tens of thousands of them that might be needed for needlepoint work or for some kind of of textile work is going to require patience. I pulled out my grandmother's um, uh, recipe binder during uh, about a month or so ago, partway into this this um, sheltering at place period because um, my Polish grandmother created a kind of a, 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 her personal um, recipe book. And I have very fond memories of, of those, you know, uh, various dishes that she would make and the, the, the fancy plates of Christmas cookies that she would make and the, the different traditional recipes. So I thought, okay, I'm stuck at home. Let me look at them. But you know, It's not so easy to make those because they all well they that those that traditional style of cooking requires patience. I mean, yeast and things have to rise, and you have to pay attention to temperatures, and you have to knead things, and they have to simmer, and you need double boilers, and and you basically you need patience, and that level of care and attention is something that maybe tend to not give to food these days. Often we throw together a meal out of things that are partially already prepared, you know, opening a jar of something and doctoring it up with other things. I remember when I first went to India in 1990 and um, was doing some cooking that we couldn't get frozen peas. We had to actually take the peas out of the pods, and I had actually never done that in my life. I thought peas, I mean, I kind of knew peas came in pods, of course, because I had grown them in the backyard, but um, but I had never actually like made a meal by taking the peas out of the pods. And that's what we did all the time in India. So for years, it was like this big, this it was always this project, you take the peas out of the pods. And I I remember that just because I certainly didn't start doing it when I came home. I went back to buying frozen peas because it's so much easier. But it is a beautiful thing to do sometimes is to give yourself a little task, a little project, and to take it as an opportunity to just do the task patiently and with mindfulness and awareness. Now we used to in the household that I lived in India. We used to buy flour. That wasn't a big deal for us. But when guests would come from South India and wanted to make us these um, Indian idlis for idlis Itl- for breakfast, they wouldn't. They weren't willing to buy the flour for the batter. They wanted to grind the rice by hand. So we had to buy a stone, a grinding stone, so that they could grind it by hand. And it took three days to make one breakfast. But it required patience. And it was part of their devotion, part of their practice. Now, I'm not going to suggest that you now go out and buy a grinding stone and grind your own flour. Or refuse the help of toasters and blenders and microwaves and all the various kitchen equipment that we possess. But you might consider your various household chores and daily activities and consider if there might be something that you could engage with that might cultivate a little bit of calmness and a little bit of patience. Um, I'm going to pause for a moment because I I want to change my blinds, it's getting kind of hot, not to be unwilling to practice patience with it, but I'm also gonna take the opportunity to change the situation. So just a moment. When we look at our normal routines We might watch in a day and notice, pick up, even write down on a piece of paper, the times when we're in a rush, when we're toppling forward into something that hasn't happened yet, when there's a sense of craving for something that isn't actually occurring. I think it's interesting to notice the times in the day and the types of activities when we really do tend to topple forward, when we're impatient for something that will happen soon, happen next. And it can be interesting if you have the time these days. Often our, for many many of us, our schedules are a bit different. And we can make the time for a little bit more inner exploration during this time. Because our, our patterns are disrupted. So it's a really good chance to see the mind fresh. So you might just decide this week, I'm going to really look out for moments of of impatience, moments of reaching for the next thing be, rather than being with this thing. Notice the times and the days when you're, you're disconnected from what actually is. Some things really do take time. And you might notice when there's something that you value, but you have not given it the time that it needs. A growth and healing take time there's not an instant cure for the pains of the body or the grief of the heart. We have to simply stay present and aware as body and mind heals, stay steady with our physical therapy. If we're doing, if we're trying to in, you know, heal a particular kind of joint or, a muscular skeletal issue, not to just give up because it didn't work in the first week or two, but it needs patience. It needs steadiness. We don't necessarily just snap right out of grief. We sometimes have to go through quite a process that requires patience as our grief unfolds. Maintaining sobriety, overcoming um, Addictions require a diligent attention throughout our lives. We have to be patient while scientists figure out how to cure or how to develop a vaccine or how to deal with this COVID-19 situation. It will take time. We can't just want the vaccine and therefore expect it to be there for us, it takes time. But there can be a tendency to want things when we want them. Like yesterday, you know, like already, like now. There can be a tendency in contemporary culture to expect things to be instant, fast. Technological gadgets keep getting faster and faster and faster and smaller and smaller and smaller. And fast and small is not necessarily wrong. But are we becoming increasingly impatient with human matters? Matters of the heart, matters of relationship, matters of being able to be aware of our own experience. The demand for instant gratification and worldly things can sometimes spill over into the spiritual practice, into the spiritual life. People might want, you know, fast and easy enlightenment intensives instead of long-term commitment to an unfolding path. There can be a fascination with those gurus and teachers who claim to have been instantly enlightened as though being near them will somehow, you know, snap us into an awakened state. And sometimes the shorter meditation practices people prefer because it sounds so much easier. I remember when I was practicing meditation in the 1980s, there was a book that was kind of a joke because of the title and it was called the three minute meditator. And although the idea of bringing mindfulness into our lives in brief doses throughout the day, in many, many small ways, repeated many times, but briefly, it's really fabulous. It's a wonderful approach to practice. I think this idea of limiting the practice to three minutes or being attracted to this brief version of it, I think it really should be a joke. It really should be funny because it misses the potential of the the diligence and the commitment that is needed for genuine mental development. If we don't have a sense of the profound potential of liberation, we might want instant gratification, immediate and measurable results. And we might be all too easily satisfied by just the most superficial meditative experience. There are studies going on now that are trying to determine the minimum length of time that a meditator needs to sit each day to get a result. Oh, I hate the thought of that, really, (laughs) because I really believe that if you want to put in the minimum effort, guess what you're going to get out? The minimum results. This is a path of awakening. It's not for the purpose of feeling a tiny moment of calmness or a flutter of rapture. Certainly not for a sense of, I have it succeeded in my meditation practice it's not for the purpose of increasing productivity or social power or establishing an identity as being a meditator that's doing this fashionable practice called mindfulness i think we do need patient endurance to really stay the course to truly uproot greed hate and delusion from our minds and to cultivate the wholesome qualities of concentration and insight that free the mind from the causes of suffering. Most people want their concentration and their insight to develop much faster than it actually will. I don't think we need to be in a hurry to accomplish anything. We practice We practice abandoning the unwholesome states and we practice cultivating the wholesome states. We're not looking for some perfect states, but progress does unfold and it unfolds according to the conditions. And as we cultivate the conditions where the mind is free from the unwholesome and supporting the wholesome Those conditions are going to lead us further along this path of awakening. I think it's really okay that the path takes time. The Buddha taught a gradual training where there are different phases and stages of our practice, different aspects that we explore and that we cultivate and develop. I think that's okay. We don't need something instant, right now, for me. And yet, what is available is only what is right now. What we can know and meet right now. It's okay that our experience of the now is not always dramatic and intense and cathartic. Slow, and easy, I think, is just fine. When I was living in India in the 1990s, we ha- I would engage with um, friends back home and family back home with um, what we call, what were aerograms. I don't know how many of you know the aerogram. They were those little thin blue pieces of paper that you would fold up and there'd be like this little sticky glue thing that you'd seal it. So you buy it and it includes the postage in it or postcards. Those were the two modes of communication was that little thin aerogram or the um, the postcards. So this was in the 1990s before there were cell phones. And when the, uh, some, some villages didn't even have one telephone and some of the places that I stayed, um, they, there was like the only phone was in the post office or in the big cities. Even in the big cities, we would have to go to... These um, uh, kind of shops where they would have a phone where you pay by the minute, and it was shockingly expensive. So anyway, we would uh, we for years that the communication occurred via these aerograms, and I learned to write really small to fit a lot of words on the aerogram, and I learned to write really straight and really carefully so somebody could read it. And what I found was those communications via postcards and aerograms were beautiful. They were some of the deepest communications and exchanges of ideas and feelings and maturing and development that I've had with anybody over the course of my life. Because when I would mail it, it would take at least three weeks, sometimes longer, before it would arrive a few days to write a reply and another three or four weeks for it to go back before there would be another reply so it was a very reflective process which is fabulous for self-reflection and for um for a kind of maturing ideas and understandings, uh, to have that kind of, of careful thought that happens as we write something and then pause and wait for a response. These days, frankly, people write a text and if they don't get a response in a few minutes, there's an irritation and an impatience. Ah, it's not a bad thing to consider these aerograms and virtue in that. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm just pining for the good old days when we didn't have technology and we didn't have all the cell phones and things, but back, I also read this fun fact where uh, it said that in the United States, in the first 30 years of the average person's life, they will have stood in line for eight and a half weeks. That's a long time, isn't it? To to know that we are physically waiting. So, my question is what were we doing with our minds during that time? You know, how present are we? Are we really attentive to what's happening just in the time when we are waiting in line? And honestly, I think with the, with the spacing six feet apart now behind outside of every store and shop, there are these decals, at least around my area. I don't know about different States, but we have these decals where everybody before you only a certain number of people are allowed in the store and, um, they count them, you know, before you go into the store and you have to wait outside, um, you know, standing on the decal six feet space, six feet apart. We are going to inevitably, for at least the next while, some months, some years, I don't know, we're inevitably going to be waiting in line. Can we take it as a practice? Can we really take that as a practice of mindfulness and of patience? Can we learn to wait calmly and at ease? Or is our mind judging other people getting irritated, antsy, dreading, hoping, feeling like we're too important and our activities are too important to be standing there waiting. What's going on or can we just wait? We can take a situation like this in line because there's really nothing else that we can really do to take it as a full full practice because there are lots of times we're gonna have to wait. Maybe we take an exam in school or for a professional board. We have to wait for the results. Maybe we get a biopsy or a medical test. We have to wait for the results. There are going to be times when you travel, and you're going to have to wait in self-isolation or quarantine before you can go visit and see your loved ones. We're going to have to wait for the the businesses to come back to to, um, to, to open and re- reopen and come back to normal, what's normal. Sometimes in a conversation, we have to wait for the opportunity to speak. We have to wait for, if we want to have a difficult conversation with somebody, we have to wait to find an appropriate and suitable time to express ourselves if we really want to be heard. When we send off an email or a text, we have to wait for the reply. So how do we fill those spaces when we are waiting? Can we sit still in meditation each day and not be waiting for it to be over, but be patient with ourselves Patient if the hindrances arise to work skillfully with them. Patient as we learn to steady the mind without imposing an arbitrary timeline for the development of our samadhi or our insight. We certainly need patience with pain, but we also need patience with pleasure and patience with neutral uh, feelings. So that we're patient with the pain and not going into an aversive state, but we're patient with pleasure so that we're not going into a grasping and clinging state, and we're patient with neutral experience so that we don't slide into boredom, dull out, or fall asleep. We have to be willing to be present with our experience without demanding it be different than it is, willing to stay steady, to be connected with our present experience, and with our meditation subject without expecting quick and exciting results every time we sit in meditation. We have lots of situations in our days to learn about impatience and to cultivate kanti patience. There are just so many you can no doubt think of dozens of experiences and moments each day when maybe something isn't just exactly the way you think it should be, but there isn't much you can do about it. Or things aren't exactly the way you want them to be, but it isn't the time to struggle and change it. So we have to be patient. When I was living in India, there were many opportunities that uh, we had to practice patience because we didn't have every convenience. Uh, For example, we did have running water and electricity, but each for only a few hours a day. The electricity was rather unpredictable. Um, We had it most days, but uh, we didn't always know when. The water was more predictable. There was a a posted schedule. So we knew that there were two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon and two hours in the evening when running water would be available. And most of the time it was, but not always. But we structured our days around the water schedule and had to be patient to wait for the water until it came and patient when it didn't come as well. So we would wash, take our baths, take, wash our dishes, etc. You, know, you know, everything would be like organized around the, 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 the water schedule. In our meditation prep, in our, in our own days, I think we can, um, we sometimes uh, adhere to a schedule and that can make us impatient rather than flexible and patient with the flow of changing experiences. And I think that's one of the disruptions that we're experiencing with COVID-19 is for many people, your routines have changed. Now we're, uh, we're months into the process. And for some people, it's the reverse. So now we got used to, we adjusted to, Um, a stay at home mode. And now as things start to open up, we have to find a new routine and new ways of connecting with the world behind a mask and a face shield. (laughs) In our meditation practice, as we sit on the cushion, as we uh, nurture a, a sitting meditation practice, we have to be willing to be patient and to not give up when we don't notice obvious progress. I can assure you that everybody's progress is going to be slower than you desire. In the Anguttara Nikaya, the numerical discourses, there are four modes of practice. These four are described as practice that is. Painful now, but it's slow, progress is slow. There's also a mode of practice that is painful, but progress is quick. And a mode of practice that is pleasant, but slow, progress is slow and pleasant and progress is quick. When we look back on our practice, would we say that our progress was quick or slow, say over the last year, over the last five years, over the last 10 years? I think it can be helpful to sometimes reflect on our practice in chunks, you know, a year, five years, 10 years, so that we can see that there is some development, so that there can be some reflection. On our, 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 our on the development of our of our practice, but I think we have to be very careful not to um, not to judge ourselves for how our practice is developing, because whether it's slow or quick, whether it's painful or pleasant, all of these modes lead to authentic realization. They all work. They're all liberating. So instead of trying to become the one who has quick and pleasant results, we can allow our experience to be however it is. And we can resolve to have the forbearance and the patience to sustain our commitments, even if the ultimate in wisdom and insight doesn't arise today. There are lots of things that we do in our meditation practice that can be occasions to cultivate patience. When you choose to sit, say you decide you're going to sit for 45 minutes in the morning. Sit for the 45 minutes in the morning. Even if you think, ah, 35 minutes is enough. I'm getting irritated. I'm going to get up. See if you can be patient for the last several minutes. Try to do some walking meditation at home. It takes patience to slow down in the walking meditation. Be willing to just walk back and forth without needing to go anywhere or accomplish anything. Devote yourself to this exploration of mind, this cultivation of mindfulness that is not very spectacular. If we demand bliss and fireworks and excitement and thrills and dramatic insights in our practice, we're not going to be honoring the stillness and the tranquility that tends to develop more slowly. If we keep privileging the dramatic, we might miss something that is subtler and more tranquil, but of deep value. This is a common error that people make as their concentration deepens and they start to experience the profound joy of the concentrated mind. People sometimes get excited about rapture and bliss and miss the power of tranquility and equanimity. If obstacles arise in the course of our practice, we learned to deal with them, we overcome them skillfully. If pain arises, we endure it. If nothing seems to be happening, we keep plodding along, applying right effort diligently and consistently, without being too concerned about periods that feel as though we're plateauing. In the discourse called All the Taints, the second discourse in the Middle-length Discourses, there's a description about the corruptions and taints um, that should be abandoned by enduring. It says, here, reflecting wisely, one bears cold and heat, hunger and thirst, and contact with gadflies, mosquitoes, wind, the sun, and creeping things. One endures ill-spoken, unwelcome words and arisen bodily feelings that are painful, racking, sharp, piercing, disagreeable, distressing, and menacing to life. While taints, vexation, and fever might arise in one who does not endure such things, there are no taints, vexation, or fever in one who endures them. These are called the taints that should be abandoned by enduring. Wisdom and compassion develops when we have the strength to endure difficulties, when we have the patience to wait, when we have the mindfulness to watch this path unfold. It's likened to a flower that blooms in its own time. We support the conditions, the flower The the, the flower seed needs to be watered. The sprout needs the warmth from the sun. But when the bud starts to open, we don't go to it and start ripping the petal open. We allow the conditions for that flower to blossom. And similarly, through our meditation practice and the way that we work with the conditions of our lives, the conditions of our minds, We nurture the conditions through waiting and watching, through mindful development, and we enjoy the unfolding of life in full awareness.